Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. Usually accountability and trustworthiness don't necessarily come at a, in a convenient way. But as a brand, if you've been able to tap into transparency, accountability, building a bond and a community around your brand, with a millennial shopper, I should say, you really got them. Yes, this time we're with Natalie Grillon, co-founder and co-CEO of Project Just, an online platform that wants to seriously sort out your shopping habits. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is episode 54 of the Better Business Show. Uh, Thanks for coming back to us. Thanks for tuning in once again. Um, Right, stop what you're doing. If you're in the gym, if you're on the train, perhaps you're in the kitchen right now listening to your favorite weekly podcast for sustainable business, I want you to do two things for me before you do anything else today. First, go to iTunes and give us a review and a rating. It will really make a difference, big, big difference to how we're perceived in the podcast store. So please do that. That's number one. Number two, send an email out. Send it out to five people in your network. Might be friends, might be family, might be work colleagues. Five people you think might enjoy this podcast. Send them a quick email now saying check out the show uh, and tell them to have a listen. So just two things. Don't wait to do it. Do it now because I know you're going to forget, but I'd really appreciate it. Right. Anyway, thanks. Let's get on with it. Take a look down at the shirt or the top or the t-shirt that you're wearing right now. Do you know where it was made or by whom? And can you tell me if it was made safely and by workers who were paid fairly and that its production didn't harm the environment? No, I didn't think so. But these are some of the questions that our guest this week desperately wants people like you and your friends and your family to start asking themselves and of the businesses that sell and make our clothing. There's been a plethora of reports and analysis done into the changing consumer habits of this new generation of shoppers. One of the most compelling I found was Forum for the Future's Consumer Futures 2020 report, which imagines four plausible scenarios for tomorrow's consumers. My way, sell it to me, from me to you, and I'm in your hands. And these are based on two trends, whether society will be prosperous or not, and whether consumers will take the initiative or expect brands to do it for them. The my way mainstream consumers of 2020 are keeping it local, in a climate where vertical farming is the norm and personal energy micromanagers make sustainable living high-tech and easy. You open the fridge, you'll find packaging that refrigerates and changes colour if the food has gone off, Brands and businesses are the ones making it easy in sell-it-to-me scenario where smart products and services replace unsustainable products. Hyperlocal is the name of the game in From Me To You, with products sought as directly as possible. Good exchanges, recycling and reuse are commonplace, as is selling surplus food and growing your own hemp. Say goodbye to brand loyalty, the leasing model champions in I'm In Your Hand scenario. Retailers and brands not only lease goods, but also provide heat, water and nutrition. You won't own your washing machine, you'll lease it. Yep, the four scenarios here look quite different, but there's one common theme running throughout. Sustainable consumption is mainstream. 
This week, I'm in conversation with Natalie Grillon, co-founder and co-CEO of Project Just, an online community looking to help consumers change the way they shop for clothing by raising awareness of a number of key issues that leave the fashion sector on the verge of straying into territory a new generation of shoppers just won't tolerate. And Project Just will also call out those companies that are just not doing enough to be transparent about how their clothes made it from farm, factory, store and into people's wardrobes. The big investigation Natalie and her team have been working on to shine a light on Ivanka Trump's clothing line is testament to that spirit. Anyway, here's Natalie to explain in plenty more detail. Let's start at the start. Let's 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 talk about Project Just. Let's um, tell us a bit about it. When did you kind of establish this organization, and what did you kind of set out to do initially? Yeah, thanks for having us, Tom. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast. We started Project Just um, as an effort to empower consumers with information about their shopping purchases. Um, as many who are listening uh, to the podcast may be aware, the fashion industry is very opaque uh, in terms of its sustainability practices um, in the supply chain. And so um, we felt that there was a real need to empower consumers with data and information in a transparent way so that they could make better informed decisions. Um, I was working um, at the time when we started Project Just um, in Uganda for an organic cotton company um, and was so impressed with the story that they had of how they were helping these farmers change their livelihoods. Uh, And my co-founder at the time who was working um, uh, for uh, the same fellowship that I was with an organization called Acumen, she had come from a background in fashion and she felt that she had seen similarly in fashion supply chains that there were really great stories out there that weren't being told to the consumer and that by telling these stories to the consumer, we could direct their dollars towards more positive supply chain practices um, and shift the industry in that way. Right. Um, And around the same time that we started discussing this idea, uh, the Rana Plaza factory collapse happened in Bangladesh Mm. and we had a realization that the bad stories in the supply chain were also hidden from the consumer. Mm, So we wanted to be able to allow the consumer to access the good stories, but also know what bad stories existed out there. And so from there, we started Project Just as an exercise in transparency in the industry, and it's just sort of grown from there. Um, So in addition to our wiki, that we have online where you can uh, search a brand and see their sustainability and ethics practices um, from what we're able to gather. Um, And for some brands, you can also see the lack of transparency around their practices. Um, We also have a seal of approval, uh, which are category-based guides that we release um, on a bi-monthly basis where we recognize the best brands in the industry for their innovation and positive supply chain practices. 
Okay, okay. And you're right. I mean, some of our podcast listeners will understand some of those supply chain issues and the complexities of that and, and be fully aware of that. But obviously, there's lots of people that, that don't know mm-hmm. what's going on in, in fashion supply. Um, there's a huge disconnect between the consumer and what's happening at the other end of the, of the line, isn't there? And I mean, what, what, are, the, what are the big stories that you, you look at and think, God, you know, we've really got to do something about this? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that there's a a couple things I can touch on. Uh, Number one is the influence that fast fashion and disposable fashion has had on the manufacturing and supply chain practices. Yeah. So creating clothing at a very low cost and making low quality clothing has put pressure on the supply chain to reduce costs. Um, And also to turn over production very quickly. And what that has led to is, of course, um, situations where suppliers, manufacturers, um, and those doing the raw materials as well are looking to cut corners wherever they can uh, to squeeze a bit more margin out of their work. So this is where you see issues in emerging markets like Bangladesh, uh, Cambodia, Myanmar, of poor working conditions, um, factories that are at risk of catching on fire or uh, falling falling down. You have uh, issues with child labor um, where the controls that would normally be in place to ensure that uh, children aren't sewing your clothes are, are not in place because of um, a lack of oversight. Um, and again, a... Uh, uh, um, desire to cut costs. Um, and then you also see the environmental pollution along with that. Again, lack of investment, lack of resources to putting controls. Um, I think that the, the second major thing, um, that is as a real challenge in the industry is traceability. Um, and this also aligns with how the industry has grown and, um, increased its pace of manufacturing Um, but also tied to globalization. So when the majority of the textile industry moved from uh, markets in Europe and uh, the U.S., the the manufacturing, that is, um, you saw a move to China um, and then from China a move to some of these other uh, markets in um, Asia and and Latin America as well. Um, And chasing lower costs, uh, of course, um, but also chasing um, speed. Uh, and so when they got overseas, um, obviously that led to um, a uh, lack of oversight, right? Just given the distance. Yeah, yeah. And so we developed this auditing uh, system where brands would send auditors to check on factories. But as one can imagine um, all sorts of things happen when the auditor isn't there um, yeah. and all the good things might happen when the auditor is there. Um, so there, there became this lack of trust, uh, lack of accountability between the suppliers and the, the brands. Um, and then you also saw with this distance from the actual supply chain, you also saw um, an increase in brokerage services. So right. again, removing accountability where brands overseas in uh, markets like Europe and the U S would look for a broker 
to arrange their supply chain for them. And that removes them, again, from oversight and accountability. So all of these factors combined, um, the chase of faster production, the chase of lower cost production, and globalization of the supply chain have led to these issues that we see in um, environmental um, abuses as well as um, human rights abuses in the supply chain. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's been lots of effort to, to kind of tackle some of these issues through, you know, improving governance, Im- improving kind of regulation, things like the, you know, the UK's Modern Slavery Act, which followed the Californian uh, similar kind of legislation. And yet you, you've taken the, the kind of stance of, of, of going down the route of engaging with consumers around this issue. And I, and I wonder about that. I wonder about how you kind of solve some of these issues by reaching out through consumer markets to get them excited about these horrible stories. Are you seeing that they're, 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 we're on the cusp of something here where consumer behavior is shifting? It's a great question. I think we look a lot at millennials for guidance on this. Right. Millennials are the growing set of consumers with influence and power um, and largest purchasing power, I should add. Um, And they are an interesting bunch. Uh, At the same time that they are um, looking for convenience and speed, they're also fickle, looking for um, transparency, looking for accountability, looking for trustworthiness. Um, and usually accountability and trustworthiness don't necessarily come at a conve- in a convenient way. Mm. Um, but as a brand, if you've been able to tap into transparency, accountability, building a bond and a community around your brand with the shopper, um, with the millennial shopper, I should say, um, I think that you really got them. Um, yeah, and yeah. so it, 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 consumers, it, yeah. yeah, I was going to say it is one of the challenges that, that millennials might want all those things. They want transparency and accountability, but they also want cheap stuff, right? Cause they're not particularly well off. So it, it, does yeah. that throw a different element into this, a different complexity? Yeah, it does. We've been talking a lot about this in terms of our role in facilitating uh, more ethical consumerism and, how we can help to make an argument for a higher quality and in some cases a more expensive good um, because ethical fashion tends to be more expensive. Um, One of the things we've been talking about are uh, ways to communicate cost per wear to the shopper. Um, We've also been thinking a lot about positive um, practices in a convenient way that might entice the consumer and bring them into the community um, a bit more so that they feel a bit more enticed and engaged uh, and willing to pay more. Yeah. Um, so I think that there are a lot of interesting brands out there who are working on this and, and thinking creatively about how to do it. But ultimately, what I'm most excited about is how information can be made readily accessible to the shopper in a multi in a multitude of ways with technology um but also with um the symbolism and marketing power um that exists out there in fashion so tell us, uh, tell us a bit, yeah. celebrities or influencers etc right right I, I was going to ask you about that a bit to tell us a little bit more about how your platform works and how you actually disseminate information and how consumers kind of can use that and, and what, how does it work? 
We have a, a searchable wiki. You go online in um, a brand name. We have over 100 brands on the site and we add more each week. Uh, you can see then the, the brand page will pop up and you can see the practices of the brand that we've been able to find. Um, cutting across eight different categories of um, practice, sustainability and ethics practices, right? So uh, labor, uh, environmental practices, uh, management practices, whether they've been innovative, how transparent they are, what their intentions are. Okay. So we, we categorize that information for the shopper. Right. Um, and then what we do is we try to use uh, social media um, and the site's content and features to make that information more accessible to the shopper. Okay, so okay. Um, I think that millennials and Generation Z consumers, who are really who we mostly focus on, um, like to um, access content. They like new stuff constantly. And yeah. so the more ways that we can present our data in a fun, entertaining uh, way and in a voice that they relate to, the more that they can absorb and engage with that information. Yes, 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 yes. So, so ultimately, you know, your your objective is to is to drive ethical consumerism. You're you're encouraging people to to be aware, to ask the right questions, and and shift their their spending habits to to spend more money with companies that are doing the right thing. Is that that's essentially it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately, that pressure on the consumer, we believe, our theory of change is that that will influence brands to shift yes. their practices. Yeah. So so there's a kind of a, you know, looking at one of your new campaigns, you, you've targeted the kind of uh, Ivanka Trump uh, line of clothing. And you're acting as a bit of a kind of a, an activist sort of NGO in some ways, aren't you, with this? What, what What is it you're trying to do in terms of targeting this particular company? It might be quite an obvious question, given where we're at. But um, tell us a bit more about this this investigation. So I, I hesitate to say that we're, we were activists with this because we tried to stay uh, very uh, nonpartisan okay. in our reporting. As a nonprofit in the U.S., that's an important rule to obey. Right. Um, right okay. But you're absolutely correct that we did choose uh, a very like opportune time to research the Ivanka Trump brand. Yeah. Um, the reason we did was because, number one, we'd heard from uh, multiple – shoppers uh, who use our site, that they were eager to have more information about the brand. Um, number two, obviously right now in the US, but I think around the world, there's a boycott going on against the products um, yeah. in relation to the ethics and politics of the Trump family. However, what we were interested in looking at was, is there a reason to also assess the brand uh, based on its supply chain practices? And we discovered that very rightly so, in fact, that there was, um, given that there is very, very little, uh, close to nothing available about how this, how the Ivanka Trump brand uh, runs their operations in their supply chain and how they ensure that there are um, positive environmental and uh, social and labor standards uh, deployed yeah. in the industry. So it's not that you found that she's doing any, you know, anything wrong. It's just that there's a total lack of kind of traceability and transparency in there. I think that what I would say, yeah, we, we, I wouldn't really say right or wrong. What I would say is that um, there is a right for the shopper to know that 
a product that they're paying for is made in a way that mm. they would be that they would support, right? Yes. So yeah. that children weren't making the product, um, that chemicals weren't being dumped out the back of the factory. Um, we don't want to support that with our dollars. I would I would venture mm. to guess that the, the vast majority of consumers would do not want to support that with their dollars. And so if the information isn't available that showcases that this is not the case and that the brand is actively working to make sure that these things are not happening, to us, that's a signal to the consumer that they should wisely um, explore whether that's a brand that they want to give their money to. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what about some of the positive stories that you come across, Natalie? I mean, who are the, who are the brands that you look at and think, God, you know, you're, you're doing a great job. This is exactly where we want to get to with, you know, across across the board. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one brand that immediately jumps to mind is Reformation. They're a L.A.-based brand. They manufacture all of their products in um, Los Angeles in the United States. And they use what is called dead stock material, um, which means that they're taking fabric that might otherwise be thrown away because a brand chose not to use it, and they're using it for their designs. Okay, um, right. They also use a variety of other sustainable materials, including Tencel, um, which is a renewable uh, source uh, of raw material for a fabric. Um, and so this brand also, in addition to that, clearly communicates to the shopper the impact of each item of clothing through a uh, what they call the ref scale. Um, so that's an exciting way to be transparent with your consumer. Um, we also really love, I think anybody in the ethical fashion community would say that they love Patagonia. Um, they've yeah. been a leader in the industry for decades, and they continue to push the envelope and share their innovation and um their uh, discoveries with um, other brands in the industry. Um, and they've never backed down, right? They've always made a decision to invest in positive labor standards and sustainability practices. So yeah, I think yeah. that that sort of sets a formula for other brands to copy and yep. see that this is possible. So those are two that immediately jump to mind. Well, and, that, and that's the thing, isn't it? So that the more kind of examples of best practice we see, the more it's very clear that, that you know, non-action in terms of tra tra you know, traceability and transparency is just not going to be acceptable in the future, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I think that the shopper is eager for it, but I also think that um, just given the, uh, the situation today uh, and all of the challenges that we face as a global community – consumerism is one of the most powerful um, votes that we have for the kind of world that we want to see. Um, yeah. So it's not just when you go to the ballot box, it's every day when you spend money on things, you're voting for the world you want to see. And so the more that we as consumers can realize that power and, um, and, and execute on it, uh, the more I think that we can start to see major shifts in the industry um, to, create and develop practices that will create a better world for everyone yeah and, and and what are the kind of when you look at that and and, and that vision you have what what do you see are the kind of the, the the main barriers that need to be overcome i mean not not just not just in terms of you know brands getting their act together but also 
in terms of reaching out to, to those that are not quite converted and don't really, you know, don't really mm-hmm. care about the whole green story, um, you know, what, what, are the, what are the things that you still need to overcome, do you think? When it comes to fashion, um, of course, there are specific issues with how a consumer shops for fashion that stand in the way. Um, sizes, uh, individual style, um, does something fit right? Those are all considerations that go into making a uh, purchasing decision for an item of clothing that wouldn't necessarily go into purchasing like housing, like cle- like cleanser for your house. Um, or, you know, an apple at the supermarket. So there are additional, uh, steps that I think, um, brands and the industry have to take to, um, make the marketing push and give the consumer the information they need. Um, but I also think that one thing that we're thinking a lot about and working on, um, is the symbol for the industry that, indicates to the millions of consumers out there that this product is better than your standard product. So when you look at food, of course, we have the organic and the fair trade symbol, the non-GMO symbol. In building, uh, the building industry, we have the LEED certification. Um, And I think that fashion needs something like that to really reach those millions and millions of consumers who are interested in maybe doing something right, but don't have the time and energy that some of the people we see coming to Project Just and researching in depth um, would have. So when I think about reaching the next set of consumers who can engage on this issue, that's the set I'm thinking about. Um, I think that there's a set of people um, due to a variety of factors, including income inequality um, and other, you know, sort of challenges um, that people face in their daily life. Um, living in rural areas where ethical fashion just isn't as easily accessible to them. Uh, there's a lot of factors that are probably out of my control as, as Project Just, and the fashion industry probably can't really work on immediately either. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, 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 I, I think of the U.S. just because that's where I'm based and that's my background. Um, but when I think of the Walmart shopper who's just trying to – you know, buy enough food for their family and maybe buy themselves one new nice thing every couple of months. That yeah. really can't be the the set of consumers that we focus on to start. Um, and so, you know, impacting the millions who have um, a little bit more disposable income and who maybe are already buying organic food, that's probably the place to start with ethical fashion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, some of the detractors would say that, you know, certification, whether it's in, in food or building energy kind of space, you know, has its kind of limitations. I guess mm-hmm. th- there is a role there for, for, you know, something similar for fashion. But I mean, how, how, how do you have any sense of how you'll know when you've got to where you want to get to? Like, how do you how will you know? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Um, gosh, I mean, I- I think that we will feel really proud of where we're at um, when we start to see uh, large fast fashion brands making decisions based on um, the conversion of shoppers towards more sustainable brands um, to change their practices. And we're trying to measure that. Um, through our seal of approval guides um, and through our membership program. 
where shoppers can access discounts to brands that we've given our seal to um, and measuring that and, and basically showing to big brands like, look, the conversion rate of sales is higher when a brand has a degree of sustainability and ethics behind their work and can prove it. Um, yeah. And if we are able to um, demonstrate that to bigger brands and convince them to invest more dollars to um, make that difference in the two to three percent of sales that they need to make, that is that is something where I will really feel um, like we've made an enormous impact. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting thinking about reaching that point. Um, I mean, what about you, Natalie? I mean, obviously, you mentioned earlier about your background, but what what else have you been up to in your career before you sort of embarked on this? I was a Peace Corps volunteer in uh, Mali, which is a U.S. volunteer program. Um, I was in the north working with smallholder farmers for two years, right out of college. Um, I went back and got my MBA because I felt like market-based reforms were really where I could see the needle moving in terms of um, helping change the livelihoods of the poorest of the poor. Um, Once I got my MBA, I went and worked for uh, this organization, Acumen, um, which helps to create opportunities of patient capital um, for social enterprises that are uh, creating market-based reform in emerging markets that are really game-changing uh, types of market reforms. Um, it's in the impact investing realm. Yes. Um, and I think that that's another you know big area that's trying to see its test right now is can impact investing revolutionize the way that we finance things. And I think that we're seeing mixed results there um, just as we are in fashion. So, Mm. you know, it's an ongoing battle right now um, for a lot of sustainability initiatives um, that uh, I've worked in in the past and and that I work in now where um, we're up against, um, you know, sort of this set of consumers and um, set of, companies instead of people who really see an urgency to change mm-hmm. um, and to create a world where equality and um, positive practices for all are um, prioritized. Um, and then I think we see this other side um, that has played out with, you know, a lot of, in a lot of different environments um, where the, the, individual is more important than your own family and, and just sort of buckling down and, and trying to, to get by. So hmm. there, there's, there's a, there's a really important, we're, we're in a very critical time, uh, as I think a lot of people recognize and, um, how things end up turning out, I really think, um, is basically like critical to our continued existence on this planet, not to get dark, but, um, climate change is, is we don't have time to, to waste. Um, no, no, no. We don't have time to waste on stopping the depletion of rainforests. We don't have time mm. to waste on, you know, the ocean rising in Bangladesh. There are these, you know, these things that have implications um, that spread to industry, that spread to politics. Um, and um, we just have to keep 
putting our head down and and working and uh, making progress as much as we can despite the challenges. Absolutely. The, the frustration is having written about this subject for almost 20 years is yeah. that you know it, we've we've had that urgency for so long um yeah. but you know thank thank goodness for for people like yourself natalie and for you know project just which i think it sounds great and i you know i urge all of our listeners to go out and seek out project just uh fascinating concept and i think you know the approach and the rigor that you're applying to kind of raising awareness of these these big issues is is refreshing and and absolutely necessary so um yeah thank we you, wish Tom. you all the best with it natalie and thanks for joining us here on the show Yeah, thank you so much. And to all the listeners, if they're really interested in becoming a more ethical shopper for fashion um, and sort of joining that journey of changing your habits, I encourage people to check out our membership, um, which is at projectjust.com slash join us, um, which will really help you, assist you in that journey. Fantastic. Thank you, Natalie. Great stuff. Thank you, Tom. Natalie Grill on there, co-founder and co-CEO of Project Just. Uh, a really good example, I think, of, of how social campaigns can just take off and, and have such a big impact. And also why traditional businesses just have such little wriggle room around right now. Uh, it's time to step up. It really is. Uh, as ever, please do let me know what you thought of this week's show uh, about Natalie, about Project Just, about all the things that we've been talking about, the Ivanka Trump investigation. Uh, all the links to all the reference points uh, are in today's show notes. Have a look at that. Uh, the website is betterbusiness.show if you want to have a look at uh, this week's show notes, but also our back catalogue of, of episodes. Have a look and, and trawl through if you're new to the show. And I'm sure there'll be something else there that you, uh, you'd like to listen to. Uh, but that's it for another week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back again on Friday for our Friday 5 News Roundup. So look out for that on Friday lunchtime. Uh, but until next Monday, goodbye. Thank you.